Maximizing Your Potential. This is the Human Performance Podcast with Dr. Craig Duncan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. And today I'm really excited to have Dr. Michael Nattel with us. And Michael is a sports psychologist and he's also the co-author of the 100X Journal um, that we wrote together, which is fantastic. He's a good friend. We've also... We work at the same university, the Australian Catholic University, and recently uh, did a subject together, which was uh, a leadership subject. So I put a, a number of those presentations on the podcast. So you might have uh, heard Michael before. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Michael predominantly today about productivity. Now all of us can be more productive, and Michael is one of the most productive people I know. And when we used to be in offices quite close to each other, uh, I was probably the bugbear of his productivity and he's very kind um, to, to just not tell me to go away, but I, I sort of got the message because he has very set routine. So we're gonna discuss, discuss this today, but firstly, welcome, Michael. Hi, Craig, thanks for having me along. How are you? Oh, look, I'm not, I'm not 100%, as you can, you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather, but I, um, Trying to keep my, my schedule, Craig, to, to stay productive if I can. <laughs> All right, let's let's go from the start. What's the Dr. Michael Nattel origin story? The origin story. That's a really interesting question. So I, I guess the when it comes to what we're talking about, I was horrendously unproductive for pretty much my entire sort of young adult and adolescent career. I scraped through not scrape through, I did well at school, but I never did any work. I was playing video games constantly, right up until the point where I, um, in my honours year, so the fourth year of my psych degree, I, I was gaming the entire year. I was down at the snow for six weeks without telling my supervisor. Um, sorry, Caroline, if you're listening. And um, I, I managed to write the whole thesis in the last 36 hours after just drinking about five Red Bull. And so I was really bad at good productivity habits. Um, <laughs> Let, I think, can I just stop you there, Mick? And I'm going to stop you a bit, but yeah. what game did you used to play? Oh, it's like Counter-Strike, StarCraft, um, Diablo 3, Diablo 2 maybe. It would have been Diablo 2 back in the day. It was, it was it, it, the stuff that was cool. When, when the, wow, back so in you're a real days. gamer. Okay. Oh, and, I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Okay. And, and your honest thesis, what was that on? I don't even remember. It was terrible. Um, something about worry and generalized anxiety, which I clearly didn't do enough, so I needed to study it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah and then I, I started doing my master's in sports psych, and I think the the thing that changed there was there was a real focus on it, trying to improve the process rather than focusing so much on the outcome. Mm. You know, so up until that point, like I'd always been told I was like a clever kid and I just needed to work hard, but like the, the cleverness always seemed to come from the results and the grades and I was getting okay grades. So I didn't really have to work any harder. Whereas, you know, in sports, like we always tell athletes that it's, it's you try to focus less on the outcome and focus more on the process of improvement. And so I think it was that, then I realized, well, I've got to turn that mirror on me and try to focus on the process of improving my, my performance, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably at that point, you know, 10 or 12 years ago that I realized I have to start improving my own productivity and performance. And it's just been slow iterations from there. Mm. Okay. So your undergraduate was sports psych. Oh no, it was psychology, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah and then do a master's in sports psych. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then you went in and so your master's year, um, was that a difficult time? 
it was an awesome time because I moved city and as a result, I felt like I could totally reinvent who I wanted to be. Mm. So rather than sort of being kind of tied by my identity when I was in, in Sydney, I moved up to Brisbane and went to a college for a year and it just gave me a, a chance to sort of be the person that I wanted to be. And I realized I didn't want to be the gamer anymore. Like I wanted to be someone who contributed to the world and, and was a, you know, an extroverted, um, supportive person that cared about the world and 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 I think I could craft that because I could kind of shed that identity no one knew me in Brisbane anymore and mm. I think in a way that allowed me to sort of free the shackles of my old sort of self mm. that's a it's really interesting you talk about identity and we're not chatting about that so you actually believe that you can so basically you took an alias so you were you were Clark Kent and you became Superman totally yeah yeah and I, I was like I stopped I can still remember going out, I think, on the second or third night of college, going like, I don't want to be Mike from Sydney anymore. Like I, I and, it, and it was really interesting because when, when you go to the college I went to, they put a hat on you with a name on it. And, and mine, naturally, because of my, my rhyming skills and my complexion, I was Dr. Dre. And I, I stopped being Mike and I started being Dre. And everyone called me Dre and I was able to almost craft this identity. And it's bizarre, but that, that little green hat with a feather sticking out of it, gave me an opportunity to change who I kind of wanted to be and not having all those existing relationships meant that I could kind of craft that without people kind of saying it's inauthentic. And, and it's really interesting you talk about this because, you know, if you're listening to this, Michael's not crazy and he doesn't have multiple <laughs> personality disorder, but he, this is actually a psych technique in, in some regard, isn't it? That, you you can create an alias so it might be that you're going for a job or something like that and you might perceive yourself as being too young for that job so i've heard of people wearing glasses that don't have any lens in them or might just have clear lens because as soon as they put those glasses on they take on a new uh, persona yeah I, that, I mean i can see how that would happen i haven't read any psych textbooks that sort of prescribe that people do this but i think a lot of the time we are held back by these thoughts that we have about who we are as people mm. and mm. They, they stop us doing the things that are important to us. I, know, yeah. Lots of ways of letting go of that sort of identity. Um, and if you have to put on some fake glasses to do it and it works for you, then it, it, whatever helps you act in love with your value. Um, did you find in that time you had that, that strong inner voice that t was telling you, this is how you should act. You know, before you came to Queensland, this is how I should act because I've got this inner voice. This is my identity that had nothing really to do with me it's people put people create your identity you know in some ways and then we've got this inner voice that tells us this is who we are when we and you are strong enough to say hang on this is not what i want to be exactly yeah mm. yeah so i think there was there were voices sort of in my mind for like four years of my undergrad saying like this is the sort of person i want to be but then there was all these other voices again not being crazy just being normal having kind of conflicting arguments saying no that's not you that's not who you are and, and i guess my my mates and my parents sort of maybe kind of um reinforcing that that who i sort of really am in in scare quotes mm. so yeah and i think i just i was able to still have those thoughts i can still remember going out in those first few nights and going no this mate this isn't what are you doing like um <laughs> But I was just like, oh, stuff it. I don't. I don't want to give that voice as much um, attention anymore, or yeah. let it let it drive what I was doing. Okay. All right. And um, so from there, and you then did your PhD. 
from there, I actually went back to Sydney with new in, new identity in tow and fiance in tow. Yeah. Um, and tried to start a small business. Um, you know, seeing I, I still carried a whole lot of like identities around. Like one is that I was too young because I was really young to be a, a sports psych at the time. Mm. So I didn't I I didn't sell myself as someone who could make it in the big leagues of a professional team, right? And so I start I st- set up a, a small business around trying to help young athletes and young people with performance and mental health. Mm. And I think the other advantage of that was I I had to learn to be self-driven and and there was a, a, a direct relationship between my success and my effort in a way that mm. maybe wasn't so much the case if I just joined a big organization. Mm. Um, but so I did that for a couple of years. Um, had a few, you know, stints with some professional athletes and teams. Um, but ultimately found myself really questioning how effective some of the stuff was that we were, you know, proselytizing. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to go back and do my PhD to try to learn the science behind the practice of sports psych. And, and um, yeah, that was the, the main impetus was like, you know, does this stuff actually work or is this just, you know, common sense from 2000 years ago? Um, and, and what and yeah and tell me what did you find in a nutshell in, in a nutshell you know in a couple of minutes in a nutshell i focused on mindfulness because it was sort of a, a um, pretty yep. vogue at the time still is isn't it yeah yeah and i found that it's useful but it's not a panacea and that the research isn't great and but so you shouldn't kind of go in believing everything that you're told about how it's going to help you sleep perfectly and perform perfectly under pressure. Mm. But I think it's a really good tool for trying to manage, you know, internal thoughts and feelings, but just meditating by yourself isn't going to be enough. Okay. All right. That's really good. Even though, and it's great what you say, I don't think anything's a panacea, is it? You know, we, we all have a big hammer because we go and do research and it's really nice to actually, hear you say that because I've got a real problem with people doing research with their big hammer and then that's the answer to everything and what you actually went with you probably had the big hammer of mindfulness and went hang on this is not as good as I thought which to me is that's real science yeah which sadly it's a discussion for another day I think doesn't happen that much these days in in science because people are are pushed by um uh, I think uh, a stimulus to prove your hypothesis right. Totally, yeah, and I think particularly in sport and performance, where there's this survivorship bias, where mm. you get a couple of people like, you know, LeBron James was filmed meditating on the side of a, 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 a match in a big game, and he performed really well, and everyone just draw cause and effect from just that that like moment of him meditating and then having a big win, yeah, yeah. and so it's really hard to do good science that way. And so I, I think, you know, in, in a whole lot of other areas, it's much easier, but I think in, in the stuff that you and I do, Craig, it's really tough. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get on to today. Now, this how this came out, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a while. We speak uh, regularly and I rung you up because for those that know me close um, is I'm very distracted and I can be very distracted even though I can, I, I suppose, work very fast where Michael said he was the the student like that and has grown in to be this productive person. I sometimes don't even know how I got a PhD done because I still feel that distracted person. And Michael working with me just a few offices down would know that 
yeah, I'd work for a period of time, then come knocking on his door just to have a chat about something random, even though there's something people don't know about you. And that is you are an incredible maker of coffee. (laughs) And one of my most upsetting things was losing you from uh, our offices in Sydney for you to go to Queensland was that your coffee machine went with you and um, your, the, the pride, even your productivity and pride in making coffee, I think is, uh, is symbolic of who you are. That's, that's... And, he, and Michael even made vouchers. So yeah. I had a voucher. Uh, you would buy a certain amount of coffees at a very reasonable price. That's right. And he would clip the voucher when we came in. That's right, Craig. Yep. I uh, was charging a gold coin donation to Against Malaria Foundation, and I think you only had notes, Craig, so I had to go yeah. to print you a 10 dollar <laughs> voucher. Um, so, but, like, you know, I think in a way, um, one of the things you and I share, Craig, is like neither of us really drink um, alcohol, that is. But, like, you know, I think in a way, when you start removing some things from your life, that's a really helpful way to start focusing your energy on other things. And one of the things that I guess that relates to productivity but to life generally too is is learning what maybe you're not into or you don't want to focus your attention you know Mm. and so like i can't tell the difference between a you know a scotch or an irish whiskey um but i but i do like to know the difference between like a kenyan and a colombian single origin right and i think um i think that happens with time but also like you know I, i think that learning to love some of the things that you do spend your time in rather than just sort of dabbling everywhere is probably yeah, are those Queensland cohort getting the benefits of your coffee machine, or uh, not since COVID and, and working from home a lot of the time, Craig? It's just um, yeah, yeah, yeah. just me at the moment. It's very, very good. Okay, all right. So tell me about this. I mean, there's a lot of things. Productivity is is something that's popular, um, and people want to be more productive. Uh, but how? How? Tell me your story. How you got there? And I know you read a few books that I've tried to read, and uh, but I'll leave it with you. T- yeah, I think the the first couple of things, and it's thinking back a few years now, is you know reading some of the the seminal texts like Getting Things Done by David Allen, and there was sort of a community around. Oh, excuse me. Actually, just on this today, any uh, people listening is we will have this in the notes because I think you'll you will talk about different technologies and i'll probably get you to recommend some technologies and books yeah yeah and i'll talk about what we do too um and that was working reasonably that was working pretty well and i think there's like a couple of like really key books that mostly i think were interesting to me and useful because they they talked about some sort of psychological insights that kind of both support were supported by my psych training but also just my sort of personal experience and so that's things like my mind is so fallible when it comes to remembering stuff, right? So, you know, if my wife asked me to get something at the shops on the way out, I'll be like, yep, yep, totally, we'll never forget it. Um, and I'll come back with, with hardly anything that she's she's given me. So I'm just, I've just got such terrible working memory that I have to collect all of the things that, that come into my brain. And even just starting by doing that, is, is one of the core things around sort of getting things done and a lot of productivity strategies. Mm. Um, but, you know, that was what got me on my journey was just starting to log tasks that I needed to get done and organize them somehow and then, you know, come up with better and better systems for kind of getting them getting mm. them executed. But the, the biggest change in our team was when um, we start, as a, as a group of researchers, we started trying to manage like three or four research projects simultaneously 
And now it wasn't just a case of like my productivity system being over here and Taryn's being over here and Chris's being over here, but we had to find ways of sort of synchronizing our, our strategies because we're collaborating so much. Um, and so that's probably where the, the scrum methodology has really taken off for us, which is like, mm. it's, it's almost like productivity strategies that are good for individuals scaled up to help like a whole team. Um, so I won't sort of name drop all the books, you know, that have been particularly influential, but like the main ones that I recommend to our students are the, the scrum kind of guide. And then we like, I always recommend deep work by Cal Newport, which I can talk through if you want. Um, and then getting things done yeah. is a really useful sort of one that I talk to you too. Yeah, yeah, deep work. Tell me about that. I've tried to read it a couple of times and I, I was just talking to you off air that um, I'm reading digital minimization at the moment and it's it's probably just the time for me. I I, I, I seem to feel, and I've got his, his time block planner here. Yeah. I'm trying to do my best. But um, yeah, tell me about deep work. How did you find that? Yeah, so I think deep work relied on this other insight or intuition that um, I found really powerful, which is that the the things that are valuable in modern life aren't the sort of things that, that Twitter as an exemplar at the other end is, is like value. So, so Twitter values like lots of brief little um, posts, you know, that try to be maybe, I don't know, funny or... Um, inflammatory, right here. I mean, like things that pose, pose emotion and whatnot. Whereas, you know, a, a, a really good academic journal paper or a th- PhD thesis or like a, a difficult skill like data science and data analytics, those sorts of things take a really long time to kind of cultivate and, a long t- and, and are difficult to learn. Mm. So basically the, the premise is that, you know, the things that are hard to learn turn everybody off and therefore they're the most important things for you to master and the things that are easy and bite-sized and kind of fairly trivial to learn those are the things that don't get that valued right and so there's there's thousands and thousands of people you know making youtube videos or blogging and because there's so many people doing it it's a very big pyramid if you want to succeed in that space whereas you know to to become like a, a world expert in, in data analytics, like that, that's hard and it turns so many people off that, you know, even, even spending a year in that will, will put you very far ahead of the, the average person. So I guess the way that that manifests in day-to-day work though is that so many modern technologies are designed to push you towards the quick, easy thing. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, even email, even Microsoft Teams and Slack. All of these technologies are trying to ping your attention constantly. Mm-hmm. And those processes make it difficult to get what Cal Newport calls deep work done, which is where you can do focused, uninterrupted work on something difficult, on a hard problem. Mm-hmm. And the more I've been able to do that, the latter stuff, the, the better the long-term outcomes I've been able to achieve. So give me an example of that. So deep work would be writing a journal paper for you. Yeah. That's, that's one example. Um, but like I, you know, I spent, um, I think three or four hours last week creating a, 
a, a video that say summarized one of the journal articles that that we'd created right by the way michael's very creative and which is and he's he's really skilled which is an interesting one you've really taught your skill yourself the skill of creativity in respect to visual and sound that's and that's editing. true that's true i've done a few courses through the australian film television and radio school but i think like what that shows though is that like learning technical difficult skills right promotes creativity because mm. you know i'm one of the few people i know that can both like write an academic article and then produce like a a reasonably high production value summary of that in video form right mm. and so I, I tend to do one when I do the other because I think it helps kind of translate knowledge from this sort of, you know, silly ivory tower out into the real world where people can actually use it. Mm. Um, and, but th like, that isn't like necessarily a groundbreaking idea, but the thing that's allowed me to do that is to hone what I saw as, as difficult, valuable skills, right? Which is, you know, writing clearly in a scientific way, but also then communicating that persuasively. Mm. So in your deep work setup, you're at home, you've got a young child, TJ. Yep, okay. yep, good memory, right. yep. Um, and, and your wife is home as, as well. Um, so do you get the deep work done there or do you take yourself somewhere? No, I love working from home, mm. um, mostly because it allows me a little bit more control over my schedule. So when I'm at work, you're often popping in or you have these like, you know, very handsome, well, well experienced and bright people come in and want a coffee for a dollar. <laughs> um, and, and like it, it, it's really nice. And I really like that stuff. Right. And ultimately a lot of that stuff does lead to comes to fruition down the road. Right. But at least a decent chunk of my time each week, I need to, to focus on, on doing deep work. Mm. And this is, this is really difficult with the, with the family and, and kids, especially because I try to keep all of that within like a seven or eight hour work day too. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, these are things that I've sort of tried to iterate over time. But for example, one habit I've got is every day in my calendar, I've got something scheduled from, you know, about 7.30 to about 9.30 every day where people can't book any meetings in with me. Yes, okay. And that's, that's like socially acceptable to sort of say, I'm sorry, I've got other plans, you know, if so, and even if someone in New South Wales says, can we meet up? I'm like, yeah, I've got plans until 10.30. Any time after that, that gives them heaps of time to schedule something in. Um, but doing that means that each day I've got a two-hour block of fairly uninterrupted time where, you know, TJ and Mel are at a park and I can just focus on getting stuff done. You know, freshly caffeinated, I work well in the morning. Um, and the real challenge there is just trying to not get bogged down in, in emails and, and whatnot. So... Mm -hmm. You know, that's been a real, that's still a challenge for me because I really feel the pull of just trying to work through seven emails instead of one big task. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's where a couple of other systems sort of come into place. So one is I, I, I try to make a discipline. I've got it set up so that my, my emails are blocked until 9.30 so I can't actually access Outlook oh, on my computer. Very good. And this is, you've taught me this. The, these, these concepts are all available on that you can block emails. Yeah. So I use, I use freedom, which was like a hundred bucks for like a lifetime license. And it just, yeah. the amount of time that that saved me has been invaluable. And then the, um, the other thing that we do, which is part of scrum is really trying to, as a team, focus on getting the really big things done rather mm -hmm. than just sort of like awarding and celebrating all the little things.
Yeah, that's really, yeah, really interesting um, in respect to, you know, that how, how you actually do that. And, and I think it's very important to own the morning. Yeah, look, like, I think that works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. There was a time this last year where just because of even TJ's sleep routine, um, it was really difficult for me to get stuff done in the morning. And so I would be often working, sort of doing my deep work kind of block from like eight till 10 o'clock at night. Mm. And so like, I think that the problem with a lot of sort of books and I think maybe the thing you're finding with your time block planner is that like when it's too prescriptive, mm. it doesn't necessarily account for the context that you're trying to work mm. in. Like the principles are really good and maybe try to keep those principles embodied in what you're doing, but maybe not always just following the direct recipe that someone else has put. Yeah. And it was quite interesting doing that because I look at that. If you remember the time block planner, it goes up to 5 PM and that doesn't work for me. And our great friend, professor David Green said to me the other day, how's your deep work working for you, Craig, with his uh, interesting face. Yeah. And I said, I'm getting things done. I just don't get them done by five o'clock. I might, it might be nine o'clock that I finish. However, the way our family's set up um, is that I like to have a, you know, I might like to have a break from a certain amount of time. My kids are older to chat to them. And then, you know, I might get another block in the evening. And, and that works yeah. well with me because the difference between me working and just living, it's all molds in together. I enjoy it very much. So I feel quite balanced in that way. So you found it just a little bit too constrained for a nine to five well, person rather than yeah you. it's interesting the time block planner which is great and cal newport's a great author but i think you and i went both through this a very similar thing with the 100x journal which uh is very much still available um and what we did with the 100x journal after ability and people to own their own journal so that's why we left it uh, quite flexible and i think uh maybe the time block planner could have that more flexibility around it but the principles are very important that's what i'm finding yeah yeah mm. I'd, ag I'd agree with that mm. so so like where do you think you get stuck craig with your productivity i get stuck uh with distraction um however i've got enough runs on the board to know um like I can be very obsessive, you know, like I'm very obsessive about exercise, uh, journal writing. Um, I can own the morning and get that done. And then I nearly have to, <clears throat> what, I, what I'm doing at the moment for my deep work is that my phone goes outside. Uh, so that has to be away from me and I need to put my stopwatch on. Mm. So at the moment, uh, I put my stopwatch on and time it like if it was a run. So then I will build up like that. And it's very similar to when I first probably 14, 15 years ago started fasting. And I used to fast, I started out doing 18 hour fast a day and I used to put my stopwatch on um, just because that, that helped me. Uh, but I think the deep work, I find that and keeping a record of what I do because I like to monitor. So, okay, all right, you got this much deep work in today. Mm, okay, you didn't get these tasks done. They've got to carry over, but at least I'm trying to get there and um, and have some concept uh, of, of what I'm doing. I do know, and what a lot of people will find out, and I don't know if you're like this too, Michael, is it's not like you need 30 hours deep work a week. The, the fact no. is if you get deep worked, if you do a couple of hours of deep work 
a day, if you could get that in a day, you would be incredibly amazed how much wonderful things you could you could do, uh, particularly if you're writing a book or creating something. If you tack away on it on that regular basis and you have your mind very free, I find I can get a lot, a lot done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that was another interesting insight from um, Cal Newport's book was that even the best sort of virtuoso musicians will only practice often for like four hours a day. They're not practicing all day and all night. Mm. And that's because you really can't sustain, you know, your focused, effortful attention for that long without fatiguing your willpower. Mm. And mm. so, yeah, I, I totally agree. If I can, if I can preserve those two to three hours in the morning every day, then I'll continue to make process like progress on the really big trees. You know. And what does it what does it look like, Michael? You lock yeah. Take us through a deep work block starts. What's it look like? I mean, the, the, the key thing is my email's already off. I go into Asana where all my tasks are stored. I, uh, okay, there's another product. I don't... That's Usana? Asana. Asana. A-S-A-N-A. A bit like um, yoga. Yoga Asana. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like a, it's like a to-do list that's connected to everybody else's to-do lists. Okay. Yeah. We use it for managing our, our scrums, which are the sort of planning cycles that we have in our team. And every week we you know, have all of our tasks and we try not to make sure that they add up to more than like 60 hours of work for a fortnight. So that's about 30 hours a week. Yeah. And not all of that is deep work. Some of it's, you know, reviewing someone else's manuscript, which I don't find that complicated. Can I ask just on that is, and you said it's a group thing, sharing your to-do list is psychologically, is that one of those, it's a psychological technique that's very powerful yeah. because people can, now you're accountable. Yeah, it's delicate. Because some people feel like it's surveillance, you know, so it takes a really supportive climate where mm. people aren't jumping down your throat for not mm. completing tasks. Mm. So it can't be used as a way of like pressuring or controlling people. But when you've created a culture of the shared to-do list is about helping other people get unstuck, mm. you know, or, or stopping them going down a blind alley. Yeah. So I had a PhD student the other day who in our daily stand-up said, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, 16 hours today or over the next couple of days, you know, trying to figure out which analytical technique I should be doing for this this analysis. Yeah. And I said, stop, Katrina, no, don't do that. Schedule one 20-minute meeting with these three people, yeah. myself included, and we will help you figure out which one to do, right? And so what that did is it stopped Katrina going down a very long dark alley trying to learn something that was way outside of her skill set mm. and she will eventually learn some of those analysis techniques but it's not about me kind of jumping on her for not completing the task it's about me trying to help her more efficiently complete her tasks yeah abs absolutely that's a really good point now a lot of people listening can I find that too like I'm looking at our lawn here and I like to mow the lawn but is that really an efficient use of my tasks, uh, my time, particularly in busy periods, when someone can come and mow the lawn for 40 bucks. And for me, I'm not gonna do as good a job and it's gonna take me a lot longer and it's probably going to, at the end of the day, be worth more money if I, I stay inside doing some deep work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, so to answer your question, like I do think there is some accountability in Asana, yeah. In Asana and in having your tasks sort of public to a team that you can trust. Yeah. But I think the biggest lever that that pulls 
is one is it stops me from overloading myself. So I have to focus, right? Because I have 60 points to plan for the next two weeks. Mm. I have to kick back the things that aren't important, right? And that psychologically feels better than this sort of endless flood of tasks. And two, it helps me figure out what the most important thing is because yeah. I can't often see that for myself. Yeah. Um, but when I talk to my colleagues and my supervisor, I'm like, okay, this is my most important thing the next two weeks. And they validate that it makes it much easier for me to sort of focus my deep work on that particular task. Okay. All right. Excellent. Now you go from Asana, you've got that done. You've checked that this is the morning. Okay. When do you start? You're still going through your deep work. You're locked away, ready to go. Yep. yep. So I just, I mean, this is, this is my way of doing it. It's not the way Cal Newport recommend. No, but I just um, go into my sign up and make the task full screen on one of my screens or at least half the screen. And I just keep plowing and chipping away at it until it's done. Mm. Um, so I'm not distracted by other tasks. Um, if that task involves email, then I can sort of, you know, log on to Gmail, but I have to log in and it's a pain in the bum. Um, and so I can send and receive emails, but I can't see the new stuff that's coming in. And that's where the problem is, you know, where there's like a little five minute task that. Yeah. Okay. And, and you can go on and to the databases to look up literature and yep. Yeah, so it doesn't block everything. It just blocks the things that would likely distract me. Yeah. And like, I think it's really hard to predict how long some things are going to take to do. Um, we still try to do that. We still try to sort of predict that and see how accurate we are. But the thing I, you know, that I find really hard about the time block planner sort of approach is like it's really difficult to sort of say it's going to take two hours and if you just stop after two hours. Mm. Um, so I just you know try to work on one thing undistracted until it's until it's finished and then I'll move on to the next thing. Um, okay. And so and it's what, not, yeah. And how long can you go in the deep work block? Do you get up after 50 minutes? Do you? I've, I've just recently put something on my computer and I'm not, I actually hate it. That reminds me every hour to get up and move. Mm. I really like just being able to like spend two hours uninterrupted, just getting something finished. Mm. Um, and so I'm not someone who responds really well to breaks. I end up getting distracted or thinking about another task. Mm. Um, but I know some people do like to get up and move and walk around and, um, you know, I've got a standing desk now, which allows me to kind of keep working on what I'm doing without sort of sitting down the whole time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So you get that. Now we, we spoke the other day and I asked you, well, how this conversation started was I asked you about Trello. So do you want to talk me through Trello? Yeah. Because I remember you using, you've used Trello now for a good few years. We used Trello before Asana. Trello's great. The, um, there are a few things that Asana forces teams to do, as in other people that you work with, that, that enable better project management than, than Trello does. Mm. Um, and it's got stuff built in that you know Trello can't do. So Trello's really good for having like a shared to-do list with people. The problem is you can assign the same tasks to five or six people, right? And in, in Trello, you can have one card with six people on it. What do you think the problem of that might be, Craig? Well, who knows what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And who knows who knows who has finished what and what hasn't, yeah. right? So, you know, we have a journal club every month. On Trello, we would have read journal club article with six people on it, and we'd have no idea who'd finished it, and it was on everyone's to do list until everyone had finished it. Mm. Whereas, like Asana forces that every task has to have only one person allocated to it. Which means if you have a read a journal club article, you have six duplicates of the same task. Meaning Craig's got to do it, Mark's got to do it, it's on. 
Oh, so we're saying Asana and Trello are effectively competitors. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And so you can put plugins into Trello that does the stuff Asana can do. So, you know, some people like to see a Gantt chart of a project, sort of say, you know, when is stage one, stage two, stage three going to be finished? And in Trello, you can, you can get those created automatically on the basis of cards if you get certain plugins. But a lot of that's built into Asana already. So it sort of sounds like I'm plugging Asana. We just love it. There's lots of equivalents out there, like Jira is a really good one too for software development. Um, mm. But we we sort of scoped everything out and found that Asana is just a really good um, balance between something free like Trello that's limited and something that's not too expensive. Like Jira becomes really really expensive, whereas Trello for Asana for us is something like five hundred bucks for the whole year for the team. Wow. And that is really good investment considering the amount of time that it's saved, you know, losing tasks or not getting things done or people spending too much time on stuff that wasn't important. Now, now do you put your, ex- um, do you put your exercise and, um, and everything into your Asana or not? Um, not, if you, no. if you had a personal Asana, you would, I would you can, you can still though with Asana. So we've got a, We've got like boards for all of our key projects and we've also got a board for, um, uh, what do you call it? For like our, our, our team sort of scrum board mm. as we call it. And again, one of the nice things about Asana is you can have the same task or card live in three different places. And if you tick it off in one place, it automatically ticks mm. off in the other place. And I remember that being really annoying with Trello. Whereas you can have your own personal to-do list with your exercise and your meditation and fasting and all that sort of stuff in there. But no one else can see that. Um, but you might have things on that list that are like, you know, send Mike the invitation for the, the podcast yeah, yeah. recording. And I could see when you've ticked that off, if that makes sense. So it allows for a good balance between, you know, having your own mm. stuff and share. And, and another product I really like that you use, and, and this is something, if people are being called for me, I hate meetings. Um, and I try and try and rid them. But I get a lot of people, the meetings are part of life. and But I will get people that want to meet with me. Um, um, maybe up and coming uh, people in our field and I feel obliged to do that however it can get a, it can take and be very unproductive going back and forward about what time is good and that sort of stuff so yeah you've got a very good setup for that do you just want to describe that yeah um so I, I hate that process my new year's resolution this year for my wife wants me to organize more social stuff with people um and it would take me six or seven text messages to organize stuff with people because I'm like, oh, when are you free? Oh, no, sorry, none of those times suit us. Oh, we've got to change something, yada, yada, yada. So my wife hates my solution to this, and I'm not recommending it, but it does exemplify the benefits of the tool that I'm We just say Michael's about. wife is a psychologist as well, so you can see. Um, and uh... Yeah, she, she reigns in the humanity of our relationship, whereas I'm in charge of the productivity, <laughs> and I think this is too far down okay. my end. But with, with Calendly, Calendly which is, the, the is a very good product. Calendly, yes. you just you set up the rules for an mm. event, and then you just send people a link for that particular sort of event type, and then people can just pick a time that suits them. So for my typical meeting, like I don't think most meetings need to go more than mm. twenty minutes, and so I've set my sort of default meeting type is that any time from one until five any day people can pick a time and it automatically sends them like the zoom link for this yep. meeting um and 
it's so much easier than sort of giving people a, a set of three options I, that they I can agree. choose from. I, I mean, look, I totally agree. I, I think there is a little bit of, um, you know, when you first get it um, coming to you, um, that you might be a bit like, oh, but it's just so much easier rather than, because what it, what it shows is you've set your week up on Sunday, you know uh, when your meetings are rather than having uh, a coffee meeting uh, you know, five times a week over five different days, which I'm sure is not good for productivity. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you can set up rules like that, Craig, that like, you know, my, to, to my wife's uh, credit, she's, she's very good at organizing social things, but she does have a lot of rules around it. Like she doesn't like to have more than two, fun- more than one thing per day. Right. She doesn't like them being like within an hour of each other because she doesn't like having to rush mm-hmm. from like, you know, a doctor's appointment to come home and then, you know, have everything. So a doctor's ready. appointment is and a I social just... environment. <laughs> no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is that Calendly yeah. lets you do all of that stuff. So like I set it up that you can only schedule one social thing per day and there has to be a buffer of an hour on every side of everything in the calendar. So if we have a doctor's appointment, people can't pick the yeah. time right after it. Um, and so I have annoyed a few of my friends by sending them this link recently, Craig, but it is such a better way of doing things because they're just like, oh, let's do the 14th at 10 a.m. And I don't have to check my calendar. And once they book it in, you know, the, my other friends who I'm trying to catch up with know that they can't choose the 14th. It's just like, it's just I, far superior. Now, I, I know it's socially weird, no, I, but I just I think I actually sometimes... think I totally applaud you for it. Um, I've got a Calendly account and it's going to go into the process, uh, you know, that that's how I'm going to do things. Because I even find myself just most recently doing things like, give me three times that are, are good for you. So I started down that track. But what it does... I, th- I think this is the biggest thing it does. It makes you plan your week. It makes you say, okay, on Monday I can do meetings. On you know, I've got a week that is structured, okay, around being productive. Um, and these are the these are the spaces I've got. If I've if I'm going to do student meetings, if I'm going to do uh, whatever I'm going to do, and I think I think uh, I think you should be applauded for it. Yeah, and like I think, like you said, Craig, that. People, you want you want to have some capacity to structure your own week in your own time, and most people are accommodating mm. that. Um, and you know, you mentioned Cal Newport. One of the one of the other things that I found really valuable. That's one of the hardest things for me to do is learning how to say no. Um, but you know, I ultimately think this is one of the most important productivity strategies. Is like learning how to prioritize tasks so you can like not pick up the ones that aren't the most valuable. Yeah. But learning how to say no to the task that like you really want to help with but you just you're going to lose your deep work if you if you say yes yeah to and i think um uh derek sivers I, I really have that in my mind where he talked about you know if it's not a hell yes uh derek sivers i suppose you'd call him a, a sort of a modern day philosopher you can see his ted talks and uh and that but if it's not a hell yes it's a no and he does say that look early in your career you have to say yes to everything but uh, later stages of your career, if it's not a hell yes, and I find myself really doing that a lot, if I get invited to, to speak at a certain conference or whatever, if it's not like, yes, I, I really want to do that, it's a no. And, uh, and it's no disrespect, um, but it's just, I, I suppose it's just trying to get the best out of you uh, because we only have a certain amount of time to live. <laughs> and, yeah. only, and time is a finite resource. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, 
you know, I know that you think a lot about, you know, mortality and the sort of life that you want to live. Mm. And, you know, I think really once you connect with that and, you know, how finite our time is in our work and our professional lives, like it's, it's okay for someone else who has a competitive advantage in something to take, take the ball on sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. You just say that. No, I totally, I, I totally agree on that. Did you hear my Aussie shepherds? That's the dogs in the background. I did. <laughs> protecting I did. Protecting Craig, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're going to, we're going to finish up there. I mean, you've talked, is there any other products? I mean, you've talked to, I'm going to put, okay, we've got freedom, Asana. You talk about scrum uh, and, and Calendly. Uh, is yeah. there any pro- other products that you really like? I think they, they're sort of the triple threat of, yep. um, of how I manage my workflow. And, you know, there's a lot that I really like that I, that I don't use because, you know, either ACU software doesn't allow it. Like Inbox When Ready is a clever one, which is where you, instead of logging into Gmail and you just get all your emails, you have to actually sort of request your emails to come. So it allows you to send emails without receiving them. Yeah, that's nice. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of things out there. And I guess to, to sort of give people that menu, one of the most recent really good books that I read was called Make Time. Mm. And that's that's rather than being a recipe saying this is the five ways you've got to do things, which some people sort of interpret deep work as being sort of the recipe saying this is how you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Make time deliberately takes the other end and says, here's the menu. Here's like 70 things you can try. And I think sort of the best way is probably somewhere between them. Keeping yeah. the principles of deep work and getting things done while adopting the sort of practices that fit you best. Yeah, I like that. Time. I like the concept of principles and you've got a menu. Because that really fits into self-science, what I talk about a lot, that, you know, it mightn't work for you, it will, you know, it could work for someone else. So, I mean, that's, you've got to find out what works for you most effectively. Yeah, exactly. All right, Michael, uh, just just one last thing. Do you, you do carry a mobile phone? I, I do, I do, but it has freedom on it. And one of the most harrowing things that I've realized is that it annoys me that freedom blocks on my on my phone after like five or six o'clock when I'm at home with my son. I forced it to block Chrome, you know, the, the main web browser. And the number yeah. of times I log in and just habitually press that little circle. Yeah. And even when I'm sitting with TJ, the number of times it catches me with my mind wandering mm-hmm. is, is really kind of confronting. Mm-hmm. But as a result, like I think I do, I've got a phone on me and I carry it with me a lot of the time, but I do have to sort of, limit its influence on my personal life have you thought about going to an old school phone i have but i I enjoy the the things about my good phone my my pixel as um you know listening to audiobooks craig you and i like doing that having you know google at your fingertips is really valuable yeah i do think you need to turn off your notifications and stop it interrupting you that like when i take my son to the park i would Fairdink can probably see more than half the parents on their phone. Yeah. And I'm the only one that starts up games with all the kids. Like my two-year-old yeah. and then everybody wants to join along because kids are just craving their parents' attention because their phones are just like fully zapping it from so many people. Yeah, and I find that it's, um, you know, it's a it's a fantastic point you make and something that I'm really striving of, you know, and I'm, I'm 53. So, uh, you know, if it, it captures us because we are not... I mean, this is the thing, biggest thing that we have to understand. It's not a weakness. It is. A, I mean, it's a weakness in the human because we are not programmed to cope with this. Yeah. That's the that's the the, the secret. Um, we will never beat 
the drawer of a mobile phone because it's it's built for that and we're not wired that way so it's not a not a weakness we're all very vulnerable to it no they're, they're programmed to exploit that little quirk in our brain yeah so i find i need to stop it from tapping and sapping my life well just on the thing of productivity i've kept you one minute longer than i said i would <laughs> I, I know i'm in I'm, i know i'm in trouble but it's been fantastic, mate, having you. And uh, as always, I just enjoy speaking to you. So I got a lot out of that. I've taken a lot of notes for myself uh, just to help my productivity. And I think we'll get you back on uh, in the in the near future when I can book a Calendly appointment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you my link, Craig. Send me the link. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. See you later. Thanks for listening. I hope you really enjoyed that. Michael's one of my f- most favorite people and he really is... Excellent at productivity, and I, I hope you learned something from that. However, if you've got more questions, please just send them to me, and I can send them on to Michael. Michael's easy to find on the internet as well. Just search Dr. Michael Nutell, and I'll put some information about him in the show notes as well. But as always, just go out and make this world a better place. Mm-hmm.